So as I said this morning, we're, we're following, uh, continuing our series in Zechariah. We're, we're moving into chapter 3, and we've been looking at this whole uh, picture about new beginnings, the idea that in Zechariah, God is uh, speaking through his prophet about a new start and how God wants to put new starts in our lives. He wants to get us to begin again in our relationship with him. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at just some of the ways God invites us into that new start, that new beginning. And actually, this, this verse that we sang, the words in this verse that we sang, really kind of sum up what we've been thinking at. Into your presence you call us. In that first week, when we were looking at chapter 1, we were reflecting on how God says, come back to me, return to me. And we were talking about how uh, physically the people of Israel, some of them had come back out of their exile, they were coming back out of Babylon, back to their own lands, but they weren't really back in a relationship with God. They were busy, they were going about all sorts of stuff, and God was saying, come back to me. And when you do that, I'll come back to you. Return to me and I'll return to you, said God. Into your presence, God calls us to be people in his presence. Um, He draws us there. And then last week we were thinking about how God says, not only do I want you to return to me, this is my promise, I will be in your very midst. I will be in the center of wherever you are. And we looked at how that was a reality for the people of Israel, When God made that holy of holies, that tabernacle place, it was surrounded by the people. So God was right in the center. We were talking last week about how God puts himself in our middle, in our centers, because he wants us to focus on him. He wants us to look in to him. But of course, what we sort of realized and remembered last week is that too easily for the people of Israel... And for us too, we, instead of looking in towards God, we're, we're distracted and we look out. We look at what the world's doing. The people of Israel, they, they just wanted to do whatever was going on around them. That looked exciting and inviting and they forgot to keep their focus on God. And that's a truth for us in our own lives. We can be tempted to turn away from God, even though he's drawn us back to himself, put himself right in the middle of our lives we can end up looking elsewhere. And so our priorities and our focus is wrong. Today, as we move on to chapter 3, the focus is on grace. And now by your grace we come. And that's really what this chapter is calling us to remember about what God's invitation to a new beginning is all about, grace. I said at the beginning of the service that I was pondering, calling this message, guilty as charged. Do you feel that? Do you feel as people guilty as charged? I don't know, interesting question perhaps. We are people like uh, the people that Zachariah was speaking of who have things that we need to resolve with our God. And in this passage, it's, it's really quite interesting just how God responds to, to this uh, this uh, picture of Joshua in this vision. seems to me that in church, in many ways, in, in our current times, there's a tendency to kind of uh, shy away from the use of words like sin. We, we, we tend to try and find other ways of describing sin. We'll talk about 
brokenness or talk about being falling, fallen or, or say that we're wandering from God. And yet we, we kind of seem to struggle. We don't like the harshness, perhaps, of the idea of the word sin. Things like brokenness or wandering or fallen, they're good. They're useful. They're nice ways of perhaps describing the truth in our lives. But the point is that we do need to be honest with ourselves. And the honesty is, in in honesty, we need to acknowledge and recognize that we are people who have sin in our lives. And we need to face up to that sin. We need to be honest about it. Perhaps part of the problem is that we we're living in a world where there's all sorts of people available out there on the internet and around who are really good at this sort of self-help guru stuff, telling us how we can fix everything in our lives, we can make ourselves feel better, we can build ourselves up, we can improve our self-esteem, things like that. And in itself, that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to be encouraged to think well of yourself. But behind that feel-good factor of fixing ourselves is the reality that we're still people who make bad choices in our lives, who engage in things that separate us from God, sin. Sometimes I think that the the tragedy is because of this sort of self-help mentality, this idea that we can do it all ourselves, we've perhaps even turned God into one of those gurus a little bit. Rather than seeing God for who God is, the God of creation, the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness, we kind of almost treat him as a bit of a, of a friend, a sort of heavenly friend who, who will look at what we do and sigh a little bit and sort of say, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay, it's all fine. He's not going to get angry with us because we don't like the idea of an angry God anymore. He's not going to deal with us. We, we, we kind of just turned him into a nicely, nicely God. We understand that God wants to love us. We understand that nature of God. But not just to love him. He wants us also to love others and love ourselves. And as as a result, sometimes we, we miss the fact that in his love for us, God wants to be able to deal with the things that are wrong in our lives. Last week I said that I think it's essential when we're trying to understand who God is and who we are in our relationship with God, that the place we go to to get that picture of God is our Bible. This is where we get the true picture of God. This is where we get the true picture of ourselves. Not from whatever the, the, the current sort of fad is or the current way of talking about things. It is in the Bible, the timeless word of God, that we get the truest purest, most accurate picture of him. And when we, when we do that, when we go back to God's word to, to discover him and his characteristics, what we will discover is this. God is more holy than you can even imagine. However holy you thought God was, he's way, way holier than that. We can't even Imagine what it means to talk about holy God. 
we kind of get so far in it, but we're limited by our own language and our human way of thinking about things. God is perfectly holy. And we're not. And that's the other thing we learn when we look at God's words. Not only is God way more holy than we can imagine, we're actually probably way more sinful than we pretend. We're way more sinful than we hope other people are going to notice in us. Now, I don't want to discourage you this morning. I'm not here to sort of get you all down and feel bad about yourselves. But I want us to be people that are honest about our lives and our relationships with God. The point is, if we're not honest about what separates us from God, we can't be in a place to receive what God wants to give us so that we can get back into that perfect relationship. If we hide ourselves away in worldly things and justify the stuff we do or pretend that it doesn't matter, we cannot receive what God wants to give us. And thinking about that kind of leaves me with a bit of a dilemma this morning, and that is, if I am, as I'm proposing this morning, a sinful person, and God is holier than I can imagine, how on earth can I do anything for God? How can I, a sinful person, serve God? How can we do what it is God wants us to do in our lives? And this was where the people of Israel found themselves. They'd been in exile, and of course, for most of that time, they thought that that was somebody else's fault that they were in exile. They wanted to blame everybody else for that without realising that that exile was a consequence of their decisions, of their poor choices. God didn't punish them with exile. He told them before it what the consequence of choosing to disobey him and turn away from him would be. <clears throat> and they'd come back out of captivity and, and they'd come back into this, this place of trying to get back close to God, attempting to rebuild the temple, attempting to sort of get their lives back in order. But what was happening to them was that they were haunted still by their past, by what had gone on. And instead of being able to move forwards into a new relationship with God, instead of being able to get back into that place where God was calling them, they were trapped in the things that they'd done, trapped in the stuff that had happened before. I wonder if that's ever happened to you in your relationship with God. It's happened to me, I know for sure. There are those times when the Spirit kind of kicks in and, and helps us realise that there's something going on in our lives that, that really isn't right and we really need to kind of sort it out. And, and we're trying to do that and, and maybe we're also trying to, trying to serve God. We're trying to sort of work out how does God want me to, to serve? What can I be doing? And as we do that, something in the back of your mind says, you? Really? You think God wants you to do something for him? You, you, when you know all the stuff from your past or even your stuff from right now, you think God can use you? I don't know whether that's happened to you. It happens to me regularly. There are mornings when I wake up and I go, really? 
Am I getting away with this again? This, God, this can't be right. And I'm kind of challenged by things in my past. Sometimes maybe we'll end up getting to a place where we say, well, I, I want to serve God. I know God wants us to be people that serve him, but, but I'm just not a person fit to do that right now. Maybe if I just carry on studying my Bible and doing all those things, eventually, in some years' time, I'll be good enough and I'll be ready to serve God. When I'm right, when I'm fixed, but not now. Just not ready now. And this is a, a practical question that challenged the people then that Zechariah was speaking to and challenges us too. How can I serve such a holy God? How can any of us do that? Zechariah says this, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Zechariah uses this image of Joshua, a symbol of the whole of the people of Israel, standing in front of God to serve him as the priest. Here's a man making himself ready to serve. And standing next to him is Satan, rebuking him. Satan trying to say, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're really good enough to serve God? What's really interesting to me here is just how God responds to to Satan and responds to this situation. Look first at verse 3 where we're told, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. That's really interesting when when I read that. I think, why would Joshua turn up to serve God in filthy clothes. That doesn't seem sound like he was very prepared. But I think the point is here. I'm not sure Joshua was in filthy clothes that anybody else would have recognized. I think he turned up dressed in all the finery that he was supposed to wear. But the point was that God could see beyond that. Joshua might have looked absolutely fine to people from the outside to those around him. But the point was, God knew what was in his heart and what was really under him. He came to serve just as he was, in truth. Came with all of his problems, all of the stuff that might have made him guilty, as charged. And yet we're told this, The angel said to those who were standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. The image we're given here is an image of of Joshua, a symbol of the people of Israel, a symbol of us today. Standing with Satan, accusing him, trying trying to say, you are not good enough to do anything for God. And what I find really interesting is here, God doesn't try to to counter what it is that Satan's saying. He doesn't say, hang on a minute, Satan. Let me just tell you what Joshua has done. 
And he could have reeled off all sorts of good things that Joshua had done. He could have said, Joshua's done this and Joshua's done that. And actually, just don't, don't get him down. God doesn't actually do that. And that's really interesting. It's really important to realize God doesn't try to justify Joshua through what Joshua has done in his life. Because God knows that's never going to be enough to make him holy enough to serve God. What Joshua's done is never going to be enough. There's always going to be those blemishes. There's always going to be those marks. What God says is this. He actually says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. He doesn't come up with an excuse or try and justify Joshua in any way. He just says, go away, Satan. This has got nothing to do with how good Joshua is or isn't. This has got to do with me choosing him. I chose him. I chose Israel. And that truth stands today. When we find ourselves in places where we're trying to do our best to to hear God and do what it is God's calling us to do, and we get those voices, maybe they're real people around us saying, what, you? You think you're good enough to do that? Maybe they're just the voices in our head, those voices of doubt and remembering about the stuff that we've done, and we think, no, 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 no. Instead of defending ourselves with good things or God turning up and saying, actually, do you know what, David, you're a great guy. Well, he wouldn't say that, but he just says, go away, doubts, questioners, because I have chosen you. And those are the words God wants you to know today. God has chosen you. He didn't choose you because you're good. He didn't choose you because you're perfect, because you've got it all together. He's not going to try and defend you in any way because of your good characteristics. He's just going to tell you this. I chose you. I chose you to serve me. We don't choose to follow God. God chooses us first. And that's an essential understanding we have to have in our lives if we're going to be available to him because for as long as we try and justify or or judge whether or not we're equipped to do the work for God that we think he's calling us based on our own abilities we're never going to do anything but as long as we remember this that God first chose you then we're, we're available to do anything God wants us to do In uh, verse 2, he says this, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from a fire? That kind of image of, of God rescuing something that was being destroyed from a fire. Now, there's only one reason you take something back out of a fire. That's, that's if you've got a purpose for it. Not just for the sake of it and then to cast it aside. Our lives were lives that were heading for destruction. We were being burned by our sins, by our choices. And God has rescued us from that for a purpose, to be used for something. God is the one that makes us available to serve him. He's the one that cleans us of our sin. He does that through 
Jesus. We hear how here God says, I'm going to put clean clothes on you. I'm going to make you clean before me. Do you know the words here for filthy, the actual Hebrew words here, actually properly translated mean covered in excrement. Filthy, dirty, as dirty as you can imagine. We have nothing to offer God in ourselves other than the fact that he has rescued us. He has chosen us. He has chosen us for a purpose to make us available. And when we are people who deliberately seek now to live our lives in that truth, then God's spirit will convict us of the things that are wrong in our lives, the wrong thoughts, the attitudes, the words, the behaviours. And it's really important in this passage that we understand the difference here between the the accusations that Satan is going to lay against Joshua and actually the correction that God offers. They're so different. Accusations and corrections. God's correction in our lives will lead us to repent, will lead us to be honest about the things that are wrong in our lives And in repentance, we open ourselves up to receive God's forgiveness and to be reconciled with him. But Satan's accusations, all they do, they make us guilty. They make us feel guilty. And they lead us to be people that that deny things about our lives. And when we're guilty and in denial, we cannot receive forgiveness. It's just not possible can't be forgiven for something we haven't said sorry for. And when we can't repent, then we can't be reconciled with God. God wants us in that place where we're back with him, returned to him, with him in our midst, so that we can serve him. God Defends Joshua not on Joshua's merit, but on God's choosing of Joshua. And that truth stands today for you and for me. God defends us against all the accusations that the world might throw at us, against everything we might throw at ourselves. Not by our merit, but by the fact that he has chosen you and me. Our response is only possible because God chose us. He poured his grace into our lives. And this is what God wants to do. It's all about what God chooses to do. The whole story of our relationship with God is a story about what God chooses to do. Why God chose to make us in the first place. He chose that. He didn't need to. He chose to make us. He's chosen us. And if we're going to be chosen people, chosen for a purpose, then we have to walk like that. Now, our walk isn't what's going to earn us God's forgiveness or earn us any merit. The things we choose to do won't won't get us into heaven. Doing good things isn't what it's all about. The application of this passage is this. It's God that rescues Joshua as a burning stick from the fire. 
It's God that chose him. It's God that puts clean clothes on him. It's all about God. And in actual fact, it means Joshua is able to turn up to serve God just as he is, filthy. Because he knows that God has chosen him. And in actual fact, it's God that's going to clean him. God that's going to make him clean. God wants to be working in our lives. God is calling each of us into his service. He wants us to come as we are, warts and all, sin and all, whatever it is, he wants us to come honestly in front of him so that he can show us again that he has chosen us, that he wants to dress us again in clean clothes. And what's amazing about this passage, those thousands of years before, or hundreds of years before Jesus appears on the scene, is we get this, this vision, this prophecy. In verse 8, Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. The branch, the stone, the foundation. These words speak about God bringing a saviour in Jesus Christ. The fulfilment of God's perfect forgiveness for our lives. We have this strange picture of a stone. It says, the stone I have set in front of Joshua, there are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. The seven eyes of the stone, a little bit complicated. Probably seven is a very holy number. Probably means facets, the way that reflects everything of God. The completeness of God. As a symbol that God has completed what he set out to do. I will remove the sin of this land in a single day, says God. That verse points to that day when God's plan was completed on the cross and in Jesus' death, and then in resurrection. Sin is not something we should be afraid of. That doesn't sound quite like I meant it to sound. Sin is not something we should pretend isn't real in our lives. It's something we need to own up to, be honest about, not hide from. If you're sitting here today thinking you're the only sinner in church you're mistaken. We all stand. We might have dressed up today, or some of you did. I didn't quite dress up as well as the rest of you. But we put on some clean clothes, but God knows what we look like for real. He knows what we're really sitting in today. And he wants you to know that in Jesus, in Jesus' sacrifice, in Jesus' death and resurrection, he has made it possible for you to sit here this morning clothed in royal robes, made holy and perfect so that you can actually be in the presence of God. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything God has done. Not because you chose God, but because God chose you. If you're still living, struggling with those sins, 
those things we dare not name, if you're still in a place where you need to be rescued, then you need to let God in today. You need to be able to turn to him and admit and own up to those things that you may be hiding away and ask God to forgive you through Jesus Christ. To accept Jesus as the only way to get out of that, to get away from those sins. You can't fix the sins and the problems in your life yourself. Only God can do that. If you've already received that, if you've already received that forgiveness, if you know that in your life, then you need to be sharing that. You need to be serving God in the gospel. You need to be letting people know that you serve a God that has chosen you. You need to be telling people who are too afraid to come into church because they think that they're too bad, that they're not good enough to come to church, that that there are problems and I've got too many things going on. We need to be telling them, God has chosen you exactly as you are and he wants you to come as you are so that he can set you free from the sin, that he can release you into a new life. God says, come back to me. Return to me. Come and live where I am the center of your life, the center of your focus, where I'm in your midst. And allow me to pour my grace into your life and to fix all the stuff that's wrong, all the stuff that's sinful in your life. Because I have chosen you to be a servant of mine.